Welcome to the LDA Podcast, a series by the Learning Disabilities Association of America. Our podcast is dedicated to exploring topics of interest to educators, individuals with learning disabilities, parents, and professionals to work towards our goal of creating a more equitable world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the LDA Podcast. I'm here today with Carrie Banks. She's a supervising librarian with the Brooklyn Public Library. Carrie, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, where you're based. Um, and uh, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dyscraphia, which explained so much of my life. <laughs> it was a real relief. Uh, but it was that was a very long time ago, and it was um, unusual, and people really didn't know what to do with it from there going forward. And I don't know why, but I've had all kinds of grew up with family members with disabilities i've um and uh it's just sort of always a part of my life there's a saying in the disability community disability is natural and i that was certainly my how i grew up but um when i went to library school um i became a children's librarian because it sort of pulled together all of the interests in different aspects of my life and then um I worked as a librarian for a while, and then I found this little teeny tiny program in Brooklyn, which I was at the time with the New York Public Library, um, called the Child's Place for Special Needs. And it was a basically preschool program for children with disabilities. And um, I fell in love with the program. And when the job opened up, I applied for it and went into the interview with a with newspaper articles about some of the work I'd done on Staten Island, including starting a deaf story hour and bringing national theater for the deaf to Staten Island and some other things. And um, I said, well, this is my job. So here's why <laughs> that was my interview. Uh, and I've been here ever since. And that was in 1997. And I really enjoyed it. That's fantastic. So could you tell us a little bit more about the inclusive services program that's going on at the Brooklyn Public Library? Yes, Brooklyn Public Library. We have three of them in New York City. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn Public Library, well, we have three library systems in New York City. Brooklyn Public Library has over 60 locations in Brooklyn. Gotcha. Um, so that little teen, small program, um, Child's Place for Children with Special Needs, is now inclusive services. We have a sort of center at one of our branches and now five satellite sites. And we do inclusive programming. So all of our programs are designed to meet the needs of children and youth with disabilities, um, but they are all open to children with and without disabilities. Uh, we use disabilities very consciously. Too many of the euphemisms are, they go in and out of favor. They're sometimes, um, you know, many of the ones I grew up with or even used early in my career are now offensive, like special needs. Uh, and I find in talking to adults with disabilities that that's what they use. That's what they want to use. So we go with disabilities. Um, so the programs are designed to meet the needs of people with dis children with disabilities, but open to everybody for so many reasons. Um, but it kind of goes like this. We have a program called Read and Play, and that's for babies, birth to, um, birth to age five. And I, and I sell it to funders sometimes as a job readiness program. The thing is, I got my first job because my best friend's mother's cousin 
was opening up a yogurt, a frozen yogurt store, and she needed somebody to work in that yogurt store. And she knew I was looking for a job. So she connected us, right? So it was through those friendships and neighborhood connections that I, I got my first job. Kids with disabilities, particularly in a large city like New York, don't always have the opportunity to make those connections, right? They they tend to go, um, you know, they go to their specialized school, they go to special services, they go to after-school therapies, and at that point, everybody's exhausted. <laughs> so we need, I wanted to create, and we have created, um, neighborhood programs where kids can just come together and be kids together and get to know each other. And that leads to those kinds of connections uh, with the community as opposed to the isolation we sometimes see. So that's why it's a job for five-year-olds. Uh, and we do programs from children, from children and youth by uh, birth through age, up to age 22 when they age out of the school system. And then we have some things for those young adults too, all along that same model, from those early story time programs to um, makerspace programs, which I think are really, really important, particularly for people like me with learning disabilities who sometimes are hands-on learners rather than, um, so we wanna provide that opportunity. We've done sewing programs. We did, oh, we've done dissection programs. We dissected squids. Um, and we had a virtual option for kids who didn't have much, uh, or who had issues with fine and gross motor skills so that they could do it on their iPads and, and like that. So we've done the makerspace programs. We do adaptive gaming programs. We do, we've done sensory friendly movie nights. We do sensory friendly concerts, um, four or five times a year. We work with schools, self-contained classrooms, as well as um, inclusive classrooms but really mostly the self-contained classrooms because they don't have the same opportunities, again, in the community that some of those inclusive classrooms have. We have internship programs for, for young adults um, with and without disabilities. We've had lots of interns with learning disabilities. Um, we've had lots of interns with ADHD uh, and also autistic interns, um, interns who use wheelchairs or just and these are, again, young adults who are building up their resumes in the way that um, typically developing young adults, it sort of comes naturally, but there aren't nearly as many options for young adults with um, with disabilities like that. Definitely. You know, I really like how it starts with the community that a lot of times individuals with disabilities don't yeah. necessarily have the it opportunity. To start with to. the community. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's important to all, you know, that's in, in the long run that's what gives us joy and pleasure in life um you know having friends um you know having friends is the strongest uh, predictor of um longevity and if you're not doing that when you're young it's harder to do as adults so definitely well and has your experience with dyslexia and dysgraphia impacted the way that you approach the inclusive services program absolutely yeah that from day one i when I was in library school, I um, I didn't want to take the two cataloging classes that were required at the time. Now you only have to take one, it's not fair. Um, I, I didn't want to take the two of them at the same time because I knew they were going to be difficult for me. And I went to the head of the department. It, the head of the department was out that week and the person who had to sign off on my course selection was the assistant or interim head. And I told her, um, you know, I, she said, well, you can't, you have to take those two at the same time semester and I said well this is why and she said oh well <laughs> you just can't be a librarian because uh you can't have learning disabilities and be a librarian anyway I had to make a big stink this was before the Americans with Disabilities Act was uh fully um being enforced it was in 19 
yeah, it was in the late eighties. So, um, you know, I had to make a big stink and whatever else. And of course I graduated and, um, I did pretty well. I got, um, like fourth, third or fourth in my class. So I sent her my transcripts and I have never, never donated to that school because of that. But what that did in that very early stage was show me not only the stereotypes and the, the bias, which I knew was out there, but also the fact that at every level, people saw libraries and, um, and learning disabilities, people with learning disabilities is just polar opposites. And, um, so now I'm proud to go around and say, I'm probably the only librarian you know that will admit to not reading or writing well. And I own, mostly read audiobooks. And so I'm, and since I came here, I've made sure that audiobooks are available for our, for the youth here, um, as well as things like large print books, which are not traditionally considered for young people, right? Um, but, you know, for those teens with learning disabilities, sometimes it works well for them. Um, we were the first department to really have graphic novels in a big way and graphic formats. And that for the same reason, those visual supports can be useful to some people uh, with dyslexia. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's informed that almost everything I've done here, um, not consciously though, it's not like I think about, oh, what would work for me? But it's just like, this mm -hmm. is, you know, because we were also here looking at all types of disabilities, right? So, yeah, it informs just about everything I do. I'm really good at working a crowd in a way that sometimes librarians aren't. And I always think back to, you know, being the class clown in school and, um, you know, the sort of research out there about people with learning disabilities. Um, that's a way to compensate. You know, that's a, that's a skill that we develop because we don't have you know, we struggled with the other ones. So I, I mentioned I'm an audiobook reader. I'm a voracious reader, and I always have been. Um, I'm also a writer. I have four, three published books, lots of articles, and I'm working on my fourth book right now. So I'm the, I'm the writer who can't write and the reader who can't read. Right. No, that's awesome. Just it goes to show, you know, there's not necessarily limits. There aren't. Um, but there are, but there are supports in the community and supports from schools and I'm technology dependent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to talk a little bit more about those supports, what are some of those services that public libraries can offer that can be helpful to somebody with a learning disability? I think the first thing is to, it's not a service. It's a way of looking at everything that we do and we need to be looking at it through a universal design and a universal design for learning lens. Um, we have traditionally, like the rest of the world, designed our programs for the 60% of people um, who sort of function typically in the way that we expect them to function and whatever that means. And and the other 40% are left out, right? Um, the statistics vary, right? But between 12 and 21% of um, people have a learning disability. For children with all types of disabilities, we think one in five have a disability. And over the lifetime, we know it'll be one in four people. So what does it mean to not design for those people? Right? It means that we're losing out on a huge audience. We're losing out on political support. We're losing out on monetary support. But mostly we're just discriminating against a huge swath of people. So we need to be thinking more about that as a profession um, and looking at things like universal design and universal design for learning. Right. So we're doing a a book discussion. Libraries do more than book discussions, but that's what you know, people often come back to. So we're doing a book discussion. Well, the book that we're offering for discussion, how many formats is it available in? Is it available in audio? Is there a, um, 
is there a graphic version of it with with original text is there a braille version those are all you know is there a large print book version those are all really important things um is the you know is the ebook compatible with um, screen reading technology so you know we have to be and, and here at the library for many years we've looked at our summer reading list that way right and, and not all of them meet all those criteria but we make sure that we say okay you know we know these these and these books are available in these other formats so that we're not just limiting our youth to you know the print format which is critical so and then in the format of our book discussion right do we have are we letting people are we like all sitting around and only talking to each other right are we letting people express themselves by drawing with pictures by signing um or by writing or typing however it works for them we're making sure that we're including communicators of all types. So taking that sort of, again, universal design for learning, you're going to get tired of hearing me say that, approach it, and it with all of our programs. And are they sensory friendly? Um, I hope that you can't hear this, but there is an air conditioner going in the background here. And it's kind of quiet for an air conditioner, but, but every once in a while it catches my attention. But I know some of the... Um, some of the kids I work with, if they were here, right, and they heard that, that's all they would hear. So making sure that we're creating, we're offering sensory tools in our libraries. Um, like we have here what we call sensory zone kits, and they have things like noise canceling headphones and fidgets and loosely based on my whoa basket of fidgets oh, yeah. on my desk. Um, and uh, so noise canceling, oh, baseball caps that will block the overhead glare. Um, you know, fidget, whatever fidgets work for people. My favorite fidget are um, universal fidget, are chenille sticks, pipe cleaners, because mm. they work for just about everybody. And if they don't work for them the way they are, they'll make them into something that works. And they're cheap. That's true. So, so yeah, are we meeting those sensory needs? Are we making sure that we're offering things um, in multiple ways, multiple formats? That's, and then, are we integrating that into the services that we're putting out there? And I think that's important too, because sometimes libraries have gotten much better at outreach, but sometimes we talk about outreach and we talk about what the libraries are doing, but how often are we also asking the questions, what do you want? What are we not doing? What do you want us to be doing? And that's that's the critical question for any, for me, for any librarian or any library. Absolutely. No, I like how it filters into everything, not just a separate program that focuses on disability. It infiltrates every part of the library, make everything inclusive. Just to follow up, um, if somebody wanted, if a library wanted to make a new inclusivity program similar to the inclusive services program, what does that take? What sort of planning? What sort of resources? Um, it takes training and, and research. Um, there's lots of it available. There's um, Syracuse University has something called Project Enable where they offer um, free online training on inclusive library services, essentially for all types of libraries. And it's really good. And so even if you, you know, if you're doing this on a shoestring budget or less, starting someplace like that. And there are more and more books on, on the subject, including mine. Um, and the American Library Association has some resources and some um, some interest groups that work around these issues. So the first and least expensive is to reach out to the free places like Project Enable and 
the American Library Association, if you're a member. But then it's also um, working with groups like Learning Disability Association and um, Down Syndrome Association, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, but looking what at what um, at other organizations are doing and how we can incorporate their best practices. Going to their trainings, I send new staff here at Inclusive Services, I send them to uh, ADAPT Community Network, and that was used to be United Cerebral Palsy training. So I send them to uh, Spinal Cord Inc. trainings. I send them to DOE, Department of Education trainings. I send them to um, every place I can that they're going to learn about people with disabilities and how what their needs are and be able to engage in those conversations about how to improve library services. So it, it takes the research and, and the, again, back to community. They're reaching out to the community and the uh, building networks and relationships with community members. That being said, we always focus on the individuals themselves. So sometimes a parent will come into me and say, oh, my child wants this. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. Where's the child? <laughs> I need to talk to that individual to see what they want. I need to ask them, what was the last book you read and liked? Because then I know what they're comfortable reading, right? Mm -hmm. um, rather than, oh, he's in third grade and reads at a, at a third grade R level. That's not helpful. And plus, if he does have a learning disability, he's probably not reading at that third grade R level. That's where you want it to be. So, so from the time that they're children, um, and that with children, that means not talking about the child in front of the child too. Um, parents, adults, teachers, we tend to do that way too much. We don't like it when people do it to us and kids don't like it when we do it to them. So, uh, uh, yeah, so, so starting with the children, but then as adults, again, what do they want? You know, not, and and centering that experience, that's how we're going to learn. That's how we're going to to develop strategies and programs and services that are going to work for, um, work for them, work for everybody. But you asked about my experiences and one of my really early experiences in libraries that, not really early, but um, a few years in, that really made an impression on me was I was a branch librarian of the smallest branch in the New York public library system before I came here. And um, it was a storefront branch. And I um, I was there one day and this little boy comes in and he asks for uh, a third grade book. He has to do a book report on it tomorrow. Okay, well, that's all right. So I go through all my third grade books that are that I find found at the time boys tended to like. Didn't want any of those. Went through all the third grade books that I found at the time that girls tended to like. Uh, he didn't want any of those. This was a very long time ago. Um, and we're going through things and I'm getting frustrated. And he's getting frustrated. And he just stopped and looked at me and he says, it's okay. It's not your fault. I'm dumb. I have learning disabilities and I'm dumb. And I said, well, you know what? I have learning disabilities and I'm not dumb. And I bet you're not either. We just need to find the right book. So then I expanded my search, right? I'd been very linear third grade. Um, but then I expanded my search to um, things that might be more visual, things that um, you know were really on a second grade level, things like that. And I gave him a whole range of books and he took some and, and he went home. Then he came back at five minutes before closing. And he was doing that thing, you know how our kids, like they pull on their parents leave to to leave in places he's tugging on his mother bringing her into the library and she said her she's the one she has learning disabilities and she's not stupid and it just broke my heart um the message that this child was getting that he was stupid wherever that was coming from um, they knew that he had learning disabilities he'd been diagnosed and um 
he wasn't clearly wasn't getting the support he needed because he was still bad. But that really made me see how where we could make a difference. Um, and, and one of the things that we do is to make sure we're providing opportunities for kids to have success. So we do a fair amount of arts programming. We do um, a lot of visual art, not visual arts, but um, fine, fine arts program, arts and crafts, um, sculptures, drawing, puppet making, gardening, right? Again, those hands-on activities that are going to give success to so our kids who don't necessarily have it in other venues. Definitely. So how can organizations like LDA be a partner to libraries, either whether it's through spreading information about their services or what of everything that they offer? Uh, what what can we be doing? Going to the library and talking to the librarians, the library staff, um, adult services, children's services, let them know um, that you're out there what services you offer and look for those places where you overlap, right? For where you can connect. Um, and of course, yes, please do offer to share our information out there because we need that, right? And, you know, it, it's it's hard to reach communities sometimes. Um, but yeah, just that personal connection. I'm a big believer in, in um, that it's, that's what makes things work. Um, I'd rather... I'd rather meet someone in person than get a, a text from, you know, get a notification from LinkedIn. But yeah, and then, you know, this is who we are. This is what we do. Um, we can do this with you. We can offer a workshop on learning disabilities for your families. Um, we could, could we host one of our meetings here and you could tell them about the library and what services you have. Um, you know, we have these wonderful services and resources. Take a look. And, and you know, where you, where you do have free materials, share them with the libraries uh, or offer to share them with the libraries because sometimes we can't can't always use everything, but um, yeah. Right. And then um, invite us where you are, right? To your meetings, even if they're not happening at the library, they're happening offsite, you know, if they're virtual, invite us. Um, invite us to your conferences. It's good. I love the conference. Um, especially if there's a swimming pool involved. So that's, you know, it, again, it's just making those connections and, and seeing what both sides need and, mm -hmm. and finding that synergy. Definitely. Well, and Brooklyn Public Library is an LDA member. So yes. could you tell us a little bit about how you utilize that membership? All those things I just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, I look at the resources. I refer people often to LDA. We don't, um, New York City no longer has a local chapter. We haven't had for quite some time now. Um, and our state chapter is um, very busy upstate. So um, I'm often referring people directly to LDA National um, for resources and support. So, um, you know, the websites and the helplines that you've had in the past. So, yeah, that, that's one way we use it. And I know I could do that without being a member, but it helps me keep up on what's going on um, and sort of the research in the field sometimes. Um, and, and knowing just knowing the uh, what resources are out there. I think it's really, really important. And as librarians, that's our job, right? So that's mostly how we use it. Yeah. But we share information about events, only share information about events that are have sliding scales or are free. So we don't do right. as much of that as I'd like to, but we do do some of it. No, that sounds good. We appreciate that. Um, so just one more question to wrap up. Um, what do you wish, either what do you wish that more people knew about libraries or is there something maybe that I didn't ask that you wanted to include and talk about? 
thing that I wish people knew about libraries is it's not all, we're not all about books, right? We're about communities and, and connecting to stories and life skills. You know, libraries, Brooklyn Public Library, for example, offers English language learning. We offer conversation groups in other languages. We offer um, job, you know, support in, in job training, uh, job searches. We do some job training. We have a partnership with Bard College where you can get an associate's degree for free. Um, we have reentry services for people who are coming out of carceral situations and back into society. We have, oh, we have a um, televisiting program where um, children can visit with their incarcerated parents video through a video chat and read and share books together, maintain those connections. We have services for new immigrants. We have legal services. We have service, we have programs for people who are unhoused. Um, we have a cycle project, which um, introduces information to the community about menstruation. Um, and we have a shelf at one of couple of our libraries now, but mostly at our central library that has free period project um, for, you know, for children, for, for youth who can't afford them, right? Um, or for um, non-binary youth who don't want to go to the drugstore and, and pick up a product that looks like it's not appropriate for them. Um, so, I mean, we just do so much more than you would ever imagine. Oh, and yeah, we do story times and we circulate books and movies and in person and online and, uh, Thomas to the Thomas the Tank came to the library. I oh. met Thomas the Tank in person. So, you know, when you think about libraries, please think about more than books. So I'm we sorry. do everything but lunch, right? And over the summer, some of our libraries even do lunch um, part by partnering with our schools and offering school lunches at libraries. That's fantastic. Yeah, like you said, it's it's very community-based. It's very much about what individual people need and you're there to fill that need. Yeah. The first we have to know about it. So come and tell us. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show with us. And thank you so much for talking about how important public libraries are and how they can be resources to individuals with LD. Thank you for asking, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the LDA podcast. To learn more about LDA and to get valuable resources and support, visit ldaamerica.org.